Okay. Throwing yeah. myself under yeah. the bus. Usually it's your fault, but this time, this time it's not. That's actually the only note I had was to blame you. So now I have nothing to say. So I'll just sit here quietly. Like you ever could. I don't think that's possible. I'll just say, I like the dance scene. That was pretty cool. Yeah, that's, well, that's all I've got. I think that's a, I think across the board, there's going to be agreement on that. When you talk to her, you're just through the looking glass. Through the looking glass, wow. You're good with words, Caleb, you're quotable. Actually, that's someone else's quote. You know, I wrote down that other line you came up with. The one about how if I've invented a machine with consciousness, I'm not a man, I'm God. I don't think that's exactly I just that. thought, fuck, man, that is so good when we get to tell the story, you know? I turned to Caleb, and he looked up at me and he said, you're not a man, you're a god. All right, so to talk about our movie this time, we welcome a guest. We have Emily of the Horrorella blog and the Dead Ringers podcast. So uh, thanks for joining us, and why don't you tell the people out there about your blog and your podcast? Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, I've been writing online for several years, mostly about uh, horror, but I do branch out into the not-so-scary stuff every now and again. Um, I've been uh, kind of periodically freelancing for the past few months. I've been writing for Bloody Disgusting and Daily Dead. And a couple months ago, uh, Nolan McBride, who's the brainchild behind the Dead Ringers podcast, uh, messaged me and asked me if I'd be involved. And what we do is kind of take two films that aren't necessarily obvious uh, double feature pairings, and we try to find some commonalities and some links between the two of them. So it's a lot of fun and uh, definitely give us a listen. Nice. Awesome. So where can they follow either you or your show on social media? I am at, uh, at Horrorella blog on Twitter and the podcast is at dead ringers pod. Nice. All right. So, um, as Alex Garland's next film, Annihilation releases, at least in some countries, we're going to take a look at his debut in Ex Machina. So if this is the first time you have listened to our show, you may, may be wondering why in the world we would pick Ex Machina for a romantic podcast. And for once, this one is my fault. But there are definitely some romantic tropes in this film, even if they are a little darker here than normal. So as always, we will start with the meet cute. So our introduction to this relationship between Caleb and Ava is probably not your standard romantic setup. It's essentially an interview. So I guess because of the type of the film it is, the progression of the relationship is going to be much lower. But we definitely do see romantic progression between these two. I'm Caleb. Hello, Caleb. Do you have a name? Yes. Ava. I'm pleased to meet you, Ava. I'm pleased to meet you, too. I've never met anyone new before. Only Nathan. Then I guess we're both in quite a similar position. Haven't you met lots of new people before? None like you. So when Ava is first introduced to us and Caleb, is the wow factor of her enough to draw us into this relationship? Or does it feel slightly stunted at the beginning? So we'll start with you, Mike. What did you think about the introduction of these two characters together? <laughs> Am I answering for myself or for Caleb here? Because I think I think for most people it's gonna feel a little stunted. 
you're, you're um, talking to a robot as far as that romantic spark like i don't it's <laughs> yeah, not your <laughs> I thing don't think this is <laughs> meant to be love at first sight I, I mean i don't know you some people may have very different views of uh technology which i guess if they get to the end of this film hopefully it <laughs> dissuades them a little bit from falling in love with their iphone or whatever it may be um so no i would not say romance but definitely interest you would definitely like i, I Almost anyone, unless you're just like totally against the idea, I guess, of artificial intelligence, which clearly Caleb would not be as a coder. But uh, I think you would definitely want to continue the conversation. Um, the fact that it leads to like maybe a romantic element uh, is the tricky part. But almost anyone would probably think that they could play that game a little bit and just see test this computer and see how it goes. And I guess I would do that. I don't know if I would be totally comfortable with the setting. I wouldn't like the bunker mentality. Like I would. <laughs> you need some like windows, nice, sunlight streaming a fireplace, in. something, some like you know a comfy couch. I don't know about this. Uh, you know, like we're in a Guantanamo Bay or something. This sort of setup that adds an element of danger to it that would not be conducive to good conversation. But you know, Gleason gives it the old college try here. I guess so that's off to him. Emily, how about you? Um. Yeah, I agree. And it might seem a little bit stunted at the beginning, but I was, it did feel in many ways still like a first date. Like the interview component is very, very uh, rigid, but at the same time, it's question and answer, getting to know you, trying to figure out how your head works. This a little more literally than an actual first date since she is an AI, but it did kind of follow that pattern of when two people are trying to figure out their compatibility, you know, what are you into? What interests you? What, what, what is your childhood memory? That kind of stuff. It did kind of feel like we were still treading that same ground, but just maybe in a very different way. Yeah, I mean, and this I, may be uh, typecasting on my part, but Dave, I wondered because I'm. I'm well, is this where you shit on the gingers again? Is this <laughs> <laughs> a little bit? A little bit? It's like I know you. <laughs> <laughs> I I felt that my reading of the character of Caleb is that he's far more comfortable talking to a machine than the average person because of his background, his profession. Uh, but also, if this was a you know flesh and blood woman that he would not be quite as cool and not as confident. And I think that adds to a little bit, an element of creepiness. Maybe that's going to build to their relationship is that mm-hmm. he feels like he has some level of control here that I don't think he would necessarily feel if it was a real person sitting across from him. Point. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think especially that that really rings true after you've seen the movie more than once, after you find out that like, Caleb has been chosen for a reason he didn't like, as he thought in the beginning, he didn't like win some random contest or he got to go, you know, hang out with awesome Oscar Isaac and drink and have dance parties with the robots. It was, there was, there was an actual reason for this. And I think you're right. I think he definitely does feel more comfortable, especially in the beginning, because especially these like first two interviews that he does with her, like he has the power in the situation because he thinks like, I know why I'm here, but she doesn't like, I'm here to test her. And I think, kind of the genius of this movie is that you start to not see her as an AI at the same pace that he does. So I'm not sure like the meet cute works in terms of like your standard romantic comedy where like you immediately meet these two people and you're like, Oh yeah, they're awesome. I hope they end up together. It's definitely not that kind of movie, but as the movie progresses, I think it fools you a little bit and has you rooting for these two, even though like, you know, Caleb, you know, has a little bit of a white knight complex going on. He really wants to like Mm -hmm. save this this girl. Just a little little bit, bit, Dave. Just a little bit. (laughs) 
<laughs> I'm going to ruin everything to set you free. So yeah, so it's a very it's a very different kind of uh, romantic setup, but I think it does by about halfway through the movie, it does get to that point where you definitely are at some level rooting for these two, or maybe that's just me. Were you guys rooting for these two at any point or were you just kind of like, this is weird and disturbing? On my first viewing. Yeah, I was definitely rooting for them. Once they, once Caleb started to get a little more comfortable and you could tell that he was legitimately developing feelings for her and you could kind of feel like maybe she was too. Um, yeah, you were definitely, or I was at least, um, hoping that that would have the trajectory. Mm-hmm. No, 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 of course not. not. No, is it because of the <laughs> I, ginger aspect or the AI aspect or both? <laughs> look, I'm I'm not totally comfortable with like setting my friends up with people that I know, and I'm not comfortable <laughs> with like you know family sort of introductions, like sort of mingling in. So having Oscar Isaac put these two together like underground with glass <laughs> separating them. I just don't think it's going to, you know, it's just not natural and I'm not even getting into the <laughs> fact that she's a robot. <laughs> I'm just saying, you know, this is not going to be good. There's, you know, business and pleasures mixed in here and no, I, I'm not, I think it's bad all around. <laughs> Mike is I was rooting for Gleason and Oscar Isaac to fall in love myself. Oh, if only. I feel That's, okay with that too. Yeah. 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 I almost went that route <laughs> here. <laughs> In discussing the movie, I almost just focused on them, but I thought, no, I'll make this harder on myself uh, and actually focus on this super dark pseudo love story. So usually at this point in the show, we would move on to the breakup because usually in romantic comedies, people get together, they break up, there's a grand gesture, and then they get back together. But this is not exactly your ordinary romance. So if you wanted to, you could argue that this is not a romance at all, but not on this show. So because of this, we now move to the grand gesture. So after Caleb finds out at least some of the truth about Nathan, he decides to help Ava escape. Don't talk. Just listen. You were right about Nathan. Everything you said. What's he going to do to me? He's going to reprogram your AI, which is the same as killing you. Caleb, you have to help me. I'm going to. We're getting out of here tonight. I get Nathan blind drunk, and I take his key card and reprogram all the security protocols in this place. When he wakes, he's locked inside and we walked out of here. I just need you to do one thing. At 10 o'clock tonight, you trigger a power failure. Can you do that? Yes. So to do this, he hacks into the system in order to open the doors instead of locking them. And now at this point, I think we've all seen this movie more than once. But during that first watch, what were you thinking? Were you rooting for these two to end up together? Or did you think it was a bad idea right away? Did you think like, oh, he's going to get caught. This is going to end poorly. Like, did it feel like a horror movie or did it feel like we had characters to root for? Uh, I thought that it felt like we had characters to root for because on my first watch at that point, it was these two against Nathan. It was ultimately about trying to get Ava out of the situation that ultimately would mean death for her. She was due to be decommissioned so that Nathan could go ahead and build the next version of, of his AI. So now that we had started to see Ava as a person, then that became the imperative. These two can work together. They can get her out of here, whatever the cost, who cares what happens to Nathan at the end. But if we can 
if we can avoid that fate, then then we win. And that's that's what we're going for. So you're the white knight in this scenario. You're like, yeah, we got to we got to help Ava escape. Yeah, the first time through, absolutely. And this is the part where, especially on later watches, the White Knight complex that uh, Caleb has really starts to come into play. But I remember the first time I was just so invested in seeing Ava as a full character rather than a robot and not wanting to see that life be taken away. So in the end, I'm just like, yes, whatever we can do to get her out of here, let's do that. Okay, what about you, Mike? I mean, I think there's something to the fact that Caleb seems to not only value her as a, uh, as a thinking being, but he also seems to value the tech in her more than uh, Nathan. Like, there's a scene where he's uh, sort of exposing, like, the shell, the brain, and saying, like, here's everything that goes inside of this. Like, he, like, he's under the hood of a car. And the fact that he's... N- not necessarily that impressed with what he's created up to this point that he's still looking further down the road. Mm-hmm. I think even if you're just looking at her sort of nuts and bolts, like a bit of craftsmanship, uh, that you're kind of wanting Oscar Isaac to step back and be like, you know, maybe, maybe this is, we should stop here for a little bit. Like he, and reassess like mm-hmm. what we're, what the next step mm-hmm. is. And instead he's the guy that's just like, well, someone else is going to do it. So you know, might as well be the first. Why not? And that just, I don't know, they're, they're, that seems to be a bit off-putting to me, even if you're just looking at it as like a scientific achievement, that he's just sort of racing along and not, I mean, clearly he's just disregarded the previous advances he's made. You have that horrific scene where, you know, the closet door sort of opened. Oof. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think even if you're not invested in it from a romantic point of view, you still are rooting against uh, just sort of trashing everything that we've seen up to this point with her. Yeah, and I think because the movie sees her as this fully formed person, like we've gotten to know her over, you know, the last hour, hour and 15 minutes, it does, it it feels like murder. Like it feels, it doesn't feel like trashing tech. It's not like, oh, well, you know, I really like my TV, but it it doesn't have 4K, so I'm going to throw it out. Like this is like, this is an an intelligence of something. That's actually exactly what it feels like to me, but I'm just looking at it like, hey man, it still works. Like you don't need to. (laughs) It's just wasteful. It's just wasteful. (laughs) Your smartphone is good enough. Don't need to upgrade all the time. Yes, you do, Mike. Yes, you do. Uh, so, So yeah, it's, I think... I think the movie is very smart that it kind of shows off how at least a little bit of how bad Nathan really is. Like, it's not just that he, you know, is creating these things and getting rid of them, like just the way he treats them. Like, you know, we don't find out till later that this this earlier model is still like serving him around the house, but he's like constantly berating her like any mistake that she makes. And really, any mistake that she makes is really Nathan's mistake. Like you built her you programmed her so really i don't know why you're mad about her spilling stuff that's on you really maybe you should have you know designed this a little bit better but i think showing that's off why i see it as a love story between the two guys that's why it's She's really just him such an amazing dancer he can't bear uh, to true. try to scrap that mom that's true absolutely so i think in in showing that that nathan is not like, even at the beginning, like, you could tell he's a little bit off, but, like, I don't think in the first 20 minutes as well you think he's evil. You're just like, oh, he's, you know, kind of misunderstood, you know, genius, doesn't really know how to deal with people, you know, has lived alone maybe a little too long. But you don't think he's evil. And then by the point, by this point in the movie, you're just like, oh, my God, what is wrong with this guy? So I think that leads you to, I think, root 
for Caleb and, and Ava. At least it did for me on the first watch. Not so much on the second, third, and fourth watch, but on the first watch for sure. Yeah, and that's what's so cool about this movie, just the fact that once you know where the plot's going, further viewings of it take on a whole new dimension. Yeah, absolutely. Mike, you look like you were about to burst into laughter. Is there something I, I you would like to say? I just defending like this, this rich asshole. It's like, you know, maybe, maybe he's misunderstood. He's, he's a rich asshole like, who can dance. He's perfect. Well, you know, maybe you don't build a compound out in the middle of nowhere if you want some look, human interaction. Secrets like, are important, Mike. You can't just, like, give out this information for free. The man is no, trying to, to make changes. It. <laughs> secrets are important yeah the, the google overlord here blue book passport or whatever it is that's right i just i failed to see the, your problem like i don't <laughs> i'm i'm not as cool as caleb with this dude charting my uh pornographic history and then creating a robot just to to mess with me I, well i don't think caleb was cool with that part he was pretty upset i think he was more upset he was about cool that part of it than anything I think else part of it he was cool with <laughs> It was just like this unspoken thing. He didn't like it, like being this awkward moment between the two of them. I think he was cool just leaving that unsaid. So maybe I'm just projecting. Maybe a little bit. Maybe a little bit. All right. So at this point, uh, we're going to move to the breakup, which is a pretty extreme breakup. So after Ava, Ava is released, Ex Machina gets even a little bit darker. Nathan is killed and Ava makes herself, I mean, essentially, let's be real. She makes herself a human suit to kind of blend in with the outside world. And instead of leaving with Caleb, she leaves him locked in the facility. I mean, I think we assume forever and then goes on to just kind of live her life and, you know, hang out and people watch, I guess. So again, where does this leave us? Does Caleb deserve this treatment or does the movie move from being a romance to becoming a film where we're supposed to be rooting for a protagonist to escape her prison by any means necessary? I mean, deserves, I, I would say no, probably. <laughs> that might be a bit excessive. You know, Way monster. to take a stand, Mike. <laughs> is, death. Uh, is it understandable? Yeah. I mean, from her point of view, this is really the only, like, I guess, you know, 99% chance of survival for her is that she doesn't have someone that knows her origin story and know who she is. And also, she gets to live without... You know, the, the monkey on her back as far as, I mean, talk about, you know, the white knightdom um, and him being like a possibly obsessive ex. If she ever wanted to live and go off and do her own thing, yeah. like he's he's not ever going to see her as a person. He's going to see her as some sort of science project. Even if he is in love with her, he's still like studying her in a way where she's not going to be able to integrate into society. But yeah, she does. I mean, she does kill him. I don't know if it's like some sort of weird, like uh, Mark Zuckerberg, like social network, uh, like coding experiment where she's like, all right, let's let's put these challenges ahead of you and see if you can code your way out of this bunker. <laughs> maybe she's giving him a, tr a chance, but I think it's, you know, it's a version of being buried alive. So I think that probably makes it a right. little more horrific. Mm -hmm. Tiny bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think um, she didn't necessarily mean Caleb any any vindictive will but at the same time you know it's it's life or death for her like she's either going to get out of the situation or she's going to be erased and I think that 
given the fact that up until now, um, Nathan is the only human and the only man she's ever known, she really has no reason to believe that Caleb would treat her any differently. Mm. So walking into this scenario, I don't think that she would even be primed to give him any kind of benefit of the doubt or take his feelings into consideration. It's just, this is my ticket out of here, and this is how I'm going to set up my escape. I don't think that she was um, malicious towards him in any way. He was just a tool that she could use. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I The first time I watched it, I was very upset by the end of this movie. Like, I was very disturbed by it. Yeah, I was just like, oh my god, this is horrible. <laughs> this is brutal. I mean, not in the way that I'm like, oh, this is a bad movie, but just like, this is not where I saw this going. I didn't think it was going this way. And then I rewatched it, and it, it became like kind of a totally different movie for me. Where, yeah. because I knew what was coming... I was like actively rooting for Ava and not feeling bad for Caleb anymore. Cause I think you kind of see his faults when you watch this movie a second time, the first time you're like, Oh, he's doing his job. He's, you know, and now he's like being a really nice guy. He wants to help her out. But like we talked about kind of this white knight complex he's got going on, like really wanting to save her and be her everything. And the second and third time you watch it, I think, I think he becomes not as much of a character as you, that you care about. Whereas, like, it just becomes, like, now that you know who Nathan is and why everyone is there, I found myself just rooting for Ava and just, like, you know, do whatever you got to do to get out of this situation because he is going to murder you. Like, these two men are out to get you in one way or another, and you might as well figure out a way to live your life. And I don't think I've – it's one of the few movies I've ever – watched where the second time through it just totally became a different movie and saw it from a different perspective and the second time i saw it like to me ava is the protagonist whereas the first time caleb is the person you're following and i think the movie totally changes depending on who you're following in this movie absolutely yeah does that go back to the courtship i guess we don't call it that the interview (laughs) process like if, if he had treated her less like some sort of you know experiment or project would we feel worse about him being left behind? Like, I'm just thinking, you know, could he not have brought a board game in or something? <laughs> uh, a nice movie night with some popcorn or something. <laughs> and a then little we would bit have of romance. Yeah. <laughs> Light some candles, something. It's yeah. Yeah. I mean, I Put think a the, little more feeling behind it. <laughs> exactly. I think you're right. I think the way the movie is set up it, there's there's an automatic distance involved, not just because of the interview, but because every time they're interacting, it's like there's literally a piece of glass in between them. So it kind of the movie in some ways kind of trains you to not get too attached to this relationship because they've never even touched like they haven't, mm-hmm. you know, they didn't even shake hands when they met. They are behind glass the entire time. And his whole and, you know, from the beginning, his entire purpose is essentially to prove that she's not human. To prove that she's someone you shouldn't care about because like his goal is to like he's the Turing test in this case. So it, it becomes really hard, especially on rewatch, to root for him when you know kind of where this is going. Yeah. And I think also um, over the course of the film, you do he does see her as this amazing science project, but I also think that he is legitimately developing feelings for her too. But at the same time, once we get to the end, we start to recognize the fact that had his plan uh, been executed the way he wanted and he saved her and they rode off into the sunset, blah, 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 blah. That would have been just another prison for her. Like Mm. his, his, his compulsion to protect her and take care of her, that wouldn't have given her freedom. It just would have kind of changed the constraints of her entrapment. 
would have been nicer looking, I guess. I mean, if you get past the ginger dude staying there, like <laughs> drooling over you, like every second of the day, uh, <laughs> sketching you as you like, you know, try to get some coffee. <laughs> but I don't think he could dance as nice as Oscar Isaac. Who so can? I mean, that's a high <laughs> bar. That's come on. <laughs> it you know it's weird looking back because on rewatch I. Had, I sort of flipped a different way. I, I felt that Nathan, uh, the Oscar Isaac character, uh, and Ava had more of a relationship, even though it was completely abusive. It mm -hmm. still felt like there was something there. Like he was getting legitimately angry with her in certain scenes. And she was, you know, she was ready to tap out of this thing. They felt more like you're watching a, a old married couple. <laughs> and there's something about Caleb that's just so disingenuous. That it's creepier. It's like, I can handle mm -hmm. like the, the abusive drunk more as far as like, well, okay, I get that. <laughs> but the, the little ginger guy, the pale ginger guy coming in and like through glass, like coming up with this, like, you know, escape from Alcatraz plot <laughs> freaks me out, man. I just don't. <laughs> yeah. It is really interesting. That, it's really interesting that he is the one who comes up with the whole plan. Like, it's not as if she, like, plants this idea in his head. She tells him that, you know, uh, that Nathan is bad and that he's done terrible things. But she, like, I think she knows – like, Emily, you mentioned he's a, he's a tool to her. She knows that he is easily upset by this and she's going she's gonna to play that up to get some help. You know, like, she's kind of given him all the little – planted all the little clues she needed for him to finally, like, move into action. Yeah. All right. Poor Oscar Isaac. He just, you know, Poor he has a bit of a drinking Isaac. problem. He's a bit of a drinking problem. A bit of one, yes. <laughs> My favorite scene as we're kidding. He's got a murder to problem, drink. too, but, you know, Again. like, whatever. And he's like, no, I'm good. I'm good with water today, man. I've, you know what? I've been drinking a little too much. <laughs> I need to become a better person. All <laughs> I'll have waters and smoothies, and I'll be fine now. Gotta, gotta, gotta and I'm going to lift down. some weights, and it's going to be okay. Right. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, any movie with uh, Oscar Isaac not wearing sleeves and lifting weights is probably okay by me. So it's good enough to go on. <laughs> so, so now we come to, I think, which is probably the hardest part of many of these episodes, but especially in a movie like this. We always try to discuss, like, oh, how can we apply the lessons learned here to our lives? Um, and I am going to... I want you guys to feel free to add your own lesson or story here because the thing I came up with is kind of messed up and kind of dark, which fits the movie. But I found myself wondering if any of us have ever used attraction to our advantage. And is this ever okay? Or is this just a line you shouldn't cross? Because that's what Ava does here, right? Is She realizes that Caleb is falling for her in this very human way and knows that he will probably do just about anything to help her get out of this situation. And she uses that and not only uses him, but like, a, you know, whether it's vindictive or not allows him to like, just stay there and die. Like, I'm just like, I'm, I'm out of here. I'm going to, you know, go uh, walk across this crosswalk and sit at a coffee shop and people watch. And I'm just going to leave this ginger here to waste away to nothing. So sounds good. Yeah, so <laughs> that's the lesson Mike takes is like, kill all gingers. That's, that's what... <laughs> <laughs> so you gotta get him out of the gene pool at some point. This is just you know, the first step. Um, they say they don't have souls, guys. What are we supposed to do with that's that? That's right. You gotta yeah. gotta leave them behind. That's it. Uh, uh, I'll, okay, I'll take this dark question first. Is it okay? I guess it depends on the you know. Cause I've never. Uh, I'm not <laughs> asking if you would bunker. murder someone right. if you would allow them um, to die for you. That's... I mean, I think it's an uncomfortable spot uh to be in because i'm assuming if you 
feel that you're using someone else's attraction to you, whether they like your personality, physical attraction, what have you, if it comes up, if it enters your mind that you're using that to some degree, then I'm guessing you don't reciprocate in some way. And that's where you should probably, you know, question exactly where, how you want to lead this, this relationship. Um, but if it's mutual, I don't guess there's a problem. I mean, I, I think that's probably just, that would just be called like a nice, strong relationship. If both of you like, you know, want to do something or, you know, be along life's journey for the other one, that's yeah. fine. Uh, so it's, I don't know, like in this, in this scenario, I guess we're questioning whether or not Ava ever had any attraction or just saw right. him just as a tool. I don't, and that's what I think is interesting about the movie is I don't know, maybe at a certain point she was actually, and she still did this to him because the circumstances of how they met, there was no alternative. Even if she did think it, like she may very well meet another Caleb out in the world and develop a relationship for him, but you know, they didn't meet in a bunker through glass so this so romantic so romantic he won the lottery you know the, the google lottery just screwed him again um i don't know i guess it you know just depends but yeah i would say that that's probably a dangerous path if you realize you have some sort of sway or power over someone uh and you know that they don't over you at right. all that's that's a little bit icky that's one of my favorite words it's, on the show it's a little icky, icky. <laughs> yeah it is a little icky but then you also have the scenario that's not quite as extreme where it's not life and death, but it's a lot more mild. And I think under those circumstances, that is kind of bordering more on just normal human human interaction. Like we do that to one degree or another often, like every day without even realizing it. So I think that when we start cluing into that behavior and understanding what we're doing, then that kind of is a warning sign saying, oh, maybe I should be less of an asshole because this, <laughs> I'm kind of using this person to get X and I didn't really think about it that way, but maybe I should stop doing that. I go the opposite way. When I realize that, <laughs> Do it more. I'd, more. I go, I'd go the Costanza out. route. I, I start to drape myself in velvet. See how far before they're like, okay, this guy's an idiot. <laughs> he doesn't deserve this power. <laughs> Just right. see. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think you both bring up good points, which is that kind of the extremity of the situation is what matters and the context matters, right? Like, you know, this could be applied to things as simple of like if you, you know, if you're a waiter or a waitress and flirting with customers to get more tips, even though you have no interest in that person at all. But once you're in yeah. any kind of committed relationship, then I think it gets, as Mike would say, a little more icky when you're just like, oh, I'll, I'll just kind of play this person to kind of get what I want. But there is a certain amount of that, I think, in every relationship. It's that kind of give and take, that compromise. As long as kind of both people, if, if the power kind of shifts constantly, I think it's a lot more okay. But if you have one person constantly being like, well, I'm going to use my attractiveness, whether it's my personality or my looks, to get what I want out of this relationship and never give, then that becomes a problem. So of course, the extremity in this situation in Ex Machina is like, I mean, literally a life and death situation. And it's it's really interesting because it becomes hard to root for any of these characters after you've watched this movie. Like I remember the first time I saw it in the theater, just kind of sitting there for a couple minutes being like, oh my God. Like, what did I just, who was I rooting for? Like, what, what did I expect this to be? Because, like, by the end, it's just kind of like, oh, well, she's free now, but she's she's a killer, too. And we were just hating Nathan for being a killer of these AIs. And now we're pseudo rooting for Ava as she walks out the door. Well, it's interesting. That adds to the the ickiness is, you know, I think mm -hmm. it it ultimately, even though he has to die for it, it proves Nathan right. It proves like, oh, he can stop yeah. now. Like, she's mm -hmm. <laughs> she achieves freedom. And yeah. has formulated this plot. 
in a way, he kind of wins. I mean, it's a, you know. It's a, it's a little bit of a Pyrrhic victory there. That's, well, maybe a little bit. I don't know. It depends on how much longer his liver had. I don't I don't know. Yeah. Maybe, maybe, maybe there wasn't a lot of lost years there. Uh, but I, that's what makes me, you know, dislike Caleb is that he – he is solely, you know, he's lost that man of science part of himself that he was brought there. And a lot of that is Nathan's influence. He really wants to set up this relationship to see, to prove if someone can fall for her knowing that she's artificial intelligence, but he just, that part of himself that was so important to him, you know, first robot lady he finds just tosses out the window and I don't like this dude. (laughs) There's no balance to him at all. Good point. We need integrity. That's right. Can't just fall for the first robot lady you meet. I mean, you got to take your time. (laughs) Like, come on. So, Mike, were there any other uh, any other lessons you feel like from this movie that you could apply to your life? Or was the one I came with came up with the close (laughs) as close as we can get? That's probably the closest. I mean, you know, I. I think I've to go back to the interview process. I've been guilty. One thing that I was thinking of for this podcast, knowing that would come up that uh, I had not had such a, uh, you know, I've had such a vanilla life that I've not had this opportunity to fall for a robot yet. That yet. Uh, I was, I was thinking <laughs> right yet. I was thinking of the, uh, the sort of interview process and Emily, what you're talking about with the, the first date, how it feels like that. I think I've been guilty of abusing the sort of idea of the first date where it's like, there's been no, there's no attachment. There's no commitment yet. So you can be fairly honest and talk mm-hmm. about really interesting things. Like in my head, I'm thinking it's going to be like, uh, like before sunrise where you just have these free willing conversations. But upon reflection, you're like, <laughs> I've even thought to myself, I'm like, man, that's a lot of material you're giving someone like that's far <laughs> yeah. too much. Like it's you're like, getting into hold something so back. I, Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so I think I've probably been guilty of treating first dates way too much like the strangest talk show that <laughs> those poor dates have ever been on, where they're like, what was that? And where was the commercial break? And where was the, the band and the next guest? Can you guess, give us an example sucked. of what kind of questions yeah. you've asked? I'm very curious now. <laughs> oh, I don't I, I don't know, because that Dave, so you're you're being the Caleb part of it. You're looking at it like too, you're far too stiff and too analytical here. I just I just want you to reenact the Michael Denniston show. I just I want to see what your dating game show huh. is like. You know, I will. I'm sure I probably have some of the stupid shit in my phone that I've texted my buddies. Like, I probably shouldn't have said this. So I'll, I'll make this commitment to our listeners. The next time we record, I will uh, do a spoken word of some of the things yes. that are on my phone. I'll look up some of the old text <laughs> the, messages. The Patreon exclusive right there. That yeah. is. Well, no, just, just, you know, subscribe or check out the next episode. And I'll, I'll give you something at the end. How about that? I'll research this, Dave. This will be the only research I do for this show. Yeah, absolutely. On my own life, apparently. I'm interested only in myself. The most important research. Absolutely. absolutely. You know, and when you mentioned like this interview was like was like a first date, it actually got me thinking about kind of the the changing landscape of dating where I feel like this used to be the first date, but now it's like online dating and everything that goes into that. Like a lot of this gets taken care of before you've ever met this person. Like you have, you know, email, you have, you know, chat on whatever, on whatever service you met on. So you kind of get, and you have a lot of, you have so much more information now, like background information on people before you even interact with them. Because everyone at this point has a social media presence and you can find out, you know, what their favorite movies are, what music they like, you know, what they like to do in their spare time. So it makes me wonder, and it's been a long time since I've been on a first date. So it makes me wonder like what first dates would even be like now, like what what is the conversation style like is it totally different or are we just like rehashing things that we already know to find out if they're honest like if the if what they say online is the <laughs> same thing out. as say in person 
Yep. They uh yeah, they did go to Fazoli's yesterday. I saw on their Instagram. <laughs> yep, that checks out. Exactly. That matters so much to me in this date. <laughs> well, if they're gonna lie about where they went to dinner, I mean, can you trust anything they say from that point on? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I can say from experience, and my experience is uh dated uh now, like we're going on almost seven years since I've uh, was single, and I remember even then thinking, like, these people fucking suck. Now, I'm also the one that was asking all sorts of weird questions, but I didn't I didn't have, and until I started podcasting, did not have a Facebook profile, and I still don't have one under my name. It's just to push my links down my family's throats and, like, please support me in these endeavors. But, yeah, I remember, I remember getting some questions like, wait, you don't have a Facebook, like, profile? I can't add you? And it's like, before you even went out, they wanted to just yeah, they see to who research. you are. Yeah, like, do you actually that. exist? Are you a person? Well, I was just like, what are we going to talk about? I mean, what is there? What are we going to do? We're just going to stare at each other, and uh, clearly, I should have done that. Yeah, <laughs> should have talked. Oh well, it worked out. I don't have to worry about that. Hopefully, God willing, my wife will put up with me. So until my death. Yeah, so, which you so know if, can't if be if that not, far off now. Anyway, I mean, uh, well, if it doesn't work out, just go to the bottle. <laughs> that's the <laughs> lesson. Yeah, you you're going with the Nathan route, like just get sure. blind drunk whenever things don't go your way. I think that's right. It seemed to work out pretty well for him until the whole stabbing thing. Well, yeah, yeah until that that end. <laughs> but he wasn't I mean, he wasn't even drunk then. Point. He should have just stayed and. <laughs> Stayed and kept drinking. He would have been fine. I think yeah. that's that's the lesson that Alex Garland wanted us to learn from Ex Machina is never that, stop drinking. I think. Yeah, that just keep drinking. The tragedy. Yes. Yeah. Uh, leaving Las Vegas style would have been the way to go exactly. for him. Exactly. Don't ever ask me to stop, Caleb. Yes, yes exactly. <laughs> and I think that's a good place to end this episode. But before we go, Emily, why don't you tell people one more time how they can find you online? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Horrorella Blog. Um, come chat me up. I love talking about movies. And uh, the Dead Ringers podcast is at Dead Ringers Pod. Give us a listen. Okay, so after you visited Horrorella on the net, you can also visit us and follow us on all sorts of platforms. If you haven't subscribed already, you should definitely do that. Just look up The Grand Gesture on your pod player of choice and follow us on your social media of choice, whether it be Twitter or Instagram, anything like that. Just look up Grand Gesture Pod and we will be there. And next time you hear us, we will be uh, taking a look at romance in Guillermo del Toro's Hellboy. So stay tuned for that. 